When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and the show that is very excited that the Euros wall chart has just gone up. I'm Kevin Day, he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, though I have to say, Kieran, nothing messes with your mind more than a bottle of wine and a wall chart that says Euro 2020 on it. It's, uh, although having said that, the merest tint of Swiss Ramble guesting on our show this week played havoc with a lot of people's minds on Twitter, didn't it? Yes, yeah, really? we, we tried our best, but he's uh, he's playing very hard to get, as in impossible to get, and, and that that's the benefit of being in Switzerland, I guess. No, I don't know, he, he, he dangled the first little bit of bait in the water, which it sounded more like a euphemism than I meant it to, but you know, <laughs> the, the Switzerland thing's not a problem, Kieran, the technology, we can, they're not they're not neutral in everything, Kieran, the, te- the technology's <laughs> still... Uh, later, we will be hearing, uh, in a very, very interesting interview... From John Bennett, Deputy Chairman of Rangers, he got in touch after we talked about them offering shares in the club to fans on a recent pod and wanted to explain in more detail. And he told us quite a few other things as well, which uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing because it was Kieran who did the interview. But first, before that, of course, some news. It's Newsday. Um, following on, Kieran, from the European Super League debacle, Joel Glazer has had a meeting with the Manchester United Fans Forum. There's nothing like watching a charm offensive from a man whose default setting is not charming. But more more importantly, before we talk about Mr Glazer, more importantly, uh, the Premier League just today have fined the six Super League clubs a huge sum of money, Kieran. Where will they be able to find this sort of money? Well, we're, we're talking... Um... Over three million pounds each uh, for each of the the G six. Um, now that that compares to their collective uh, revenues of two billion nine hundred ninety eight million pounds in in twenty nineteen. Mm. Um, but sort of you know pick, picking picking fights aside, uh, you know, it's additional money that's going to go to grassroots um, as opposed to the other clubs, and, and I think you know, I think we all welcome that. Um, we, uh, we we were contacted by Manchester United to say that the Glazers uh, themselves are going to pick up the tab for oh. that. And I believe uh, Stan Kroenke is, is probably going to do the same at Arsenal. And I would suspect that the owners of the other clubs uh, are, are, are inclined to do so. Um, so the good news from 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 a fan's perspective is that uh, that those fines are, are not being taken out of transfer budgets. 
Um, so the, the findings, yeah, there's, there's been a bit of a, a pushback, I think, from some fans who feel it it's not enough. But yeah, my view is is ultimately what are we trying to to achieve through uh, the, the the position in in the Premier League? These, you, know, you and I, in an ideal world, in ten years, well, first of all, we you know, we hope we'll have put our feet up for a few years by then. We will hope that there will be a Premier League which is competitive, which will have a decent mm. number of teams in, um, and and those teams will include a, a strong Chelsea and Manchester United and Liverpool because that has helped to drive the success of the Premier League since it it started. So, uh, trying to be over punitive, um, I, 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 in my view, never works. It, it's a creative sort of proportionality. I think uh, the the issue which has perhaps gone under the radar is there's also uh, a suspended sentence that's been given to these clubs should they try a uh, a similar uh, similar activity to the Champions League, mm. uh, so sorry to Super League. They they will be given a twenty five million pound fine each um, and a thirty point deduction. Um, although part of me thought, well, hold on, if they get a thirty point deduction. They're still they're still unlikely to be relegated, and given that they won't be trying to qualify for the Champions League, mm. is that a genuine punishment? But uh, e- even so, you know, the fact fans want to see them at the top of the table all the time. So, so that's that's where we are. Um, I, I think there is. Uh, I think for me, that probably the biggest issue overall is what these people wanted. You know, the owners of these clubs that they wanted um, power and control over football and that's the one thing that they've not got and in fact their 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 ability to influence uh, the the direction of the game has been significantly reduced because they've been taken away from some of the key committees which which are part of the decision making process mm. so yes from a monetary point of view the fines are are modest but remember these fines are independent of the the financial sanctions that UEFA has given mm. um and uh, there does appear to be some genuine contrition um as far as the clubs are concerned so you know hopefully they they won't be going away uh into their little huddles which which was taking place on a regular basis um when when uh, owner meetings or chief executive meetings of the premier league were taking place and they were so brazen about it because they always had this one trump card of well, if if you if you try to stop us from doing what the hell we want, we will go off and form our own league. They mm. can't really do that anymore. You often try to explain, Kieran, the, the inner workings of the Premier League. Is this fine a figure that the other fourteen clubs will have come up with? Um, yes, uh, I mean, I, I think there will have been yeah, there will be WhatsApp groups from. Uh, the, the other 14, I believe some clubs wanted a points deduction. It, in my view, that's that's not right because that's punishing the fans. And, and had it not been yeah. for the fans of of Chelsea and Liverpool and Manchester United and Spurs and also all of the big six clubs, as well as all of the other clubs in the country coming together, th- then they might have escaped with this. Because mm. if, if you actually take a look at what was happening in Spain, the fans there effectively just shrugged and said, well, okay, yeah, okay, well, mm. let's give this a go. Uh, you know, we know that German German clubs weren't invited. 
Um, Italia, there didn't appear to be a huge pushback in Italy. So it was it, it was the the Manchester United and Liverpool fans in those cities, and also from from the sounds of it, oh yeah, all their fan clubs elsewhere in the world who were so vociferous, along with everybody else in football, and mm. eventually, you know, some politicians, I think, were initially positive about it, but quickly did a U-turn when they saw the mood music. So, so the, the the Premier League has has twenty people turning up a meeting on on, on a regular basis. Um, there is an element of self interest when, when people are making decisions and voting, and that's right. I mean, Steve Parrish should always do what is best for Crystal Palace. Uh, you know, to a certain extent, Ed Woodward should do what is best uh, yeah. for Manchester United, but also be aware that football is far more than a franchise. Hmm. So this is kind of like it, it. It feels to me like a symbolic punishment that isn't meant to start a war. Essentially, it's like okay, we've this. This is your fine. We'll try and draw a line under it. And you say that we were contacted by Manchester United, Kieran. How exactly did Manchester United get in touch with you? Um, well, yeah, I have a phone. <laughs> yeah, I've got a phone, Kieran. But it's, it, I've checked it several times today, and there was no missing call from Ed Woodward, or no, there was no missed number from a Manchester. Go <laughs> no oh one six ones. No, no, no. Um, anyway, we'll talk of the Manchester United as, as we we started this news story with the the notion that Joel Glazer held that meeting, basically in which he approached the Man United fans wearing sackcloth and ashes. He 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 was pretty. Uh, humble, wasn't he, really? I think Man United fans would probably think that they, they'd got the better of him in that meeting. Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he he has acknowledged that they've got some things wrong. And uh, that that's a start point. Uh, he's, he's said that uh, what happened in respect of uh, Super League was a wake-up call. He's apologised for it. It says, yes, it, they, they know that they, they, they have no intention of going through something of... of uh, any any repeat of that in the future all of that is good um i think there were were some interesting uh, potential developments uh one of which was the uh, proposed share scheme which would give fans the same uh, the same 10 votes per share potentially um as as the glazers have and and as, as the way that the club's trying to promote this um you know if, if club if, if fans come together they can effectively become the seventh glazer um and therefore um have their voices heard and, and i think we've tried to 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 use this phrase fan influenced clubs rather than fan owned clubs because it's yeah. it, it's simply financially not feasible it's not logical in, indeed to to try to have fa- fan controlled clubs especially at premier league level um at, at the lower leagues it, it is different so um that is something which they are actively looking at they have had um various meetings i believe with manchester united supporters trust um, now, how the other existing shareholders, the, the the investment houses who only get one vote per share, how they are going to react to this is uncertain. It could be that they simply take the view that provided they get their their dividend every six months, then frankly, that's all they've ever been expecting from Manchester United, and they never wanted to get involved in the decision making process. So, it, you know, it could be it could be a, a, a damp squib. Um, the other thing that 
Joel Glazer committed to do was to um, invest in infrastructure. And, you know, and we've mentioned, you know, as, as, as away fans that have been to Old Trafford, um, mm. it, it's looking pretty tatty. Uh, you know, we've seen all these you know, the, these photographs and, and then the evidence of, of leaking roofs. Um, you know, and you don't expect it, but this is Manchester United we're talking about. Mm. Um, but again, there's there's always a story behind a story. And having looked at the small print of both Project Big Picture and European Super League, there were what we refer to as, as capital expenditure uh, budgets, where effectively there were going to be pools of money set aside to allow for stadium expansion, stadium reconstruction, um, and, and that type of spending, i.e. what you're effectively doing is getting all of the clubs to pay for the rebuild at, at certain grounds. So I don't know whether or not this could have been influencing the decision of the Glazers to say, well, you know, we're not going to spend any money on Old Trafford because we've got this plan you know, which is going to come into fruition in, in X year's time, and effectively – Everybody else is going to be paying for for uh, the the renovation of Old Trafford rather than us. Now that uh, both Super League and Project Big Picture appear to be on the back burners, and remember in football, never say never. Um, it looks as if they're they're now going to spend the money directly from their own sources. Well, now you've got uh, Man United's phone number. Let's ask if we can get a Glazer on the show. Start start high. Start with Joel Glazer. And then see how far down the family we can get before we get a glazer on. We'll, we'll, right. we'll get a second cousin, or we'll get one of the Irish glazers. We'll get one of the O glazers. They'll come on. Uh, and just it's one of our cousins as well, no, you know, knowing our yeah, families. Wouldn't that be great if it turned out you and I were related to each other, Kieran? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be an episode of Who Are You that I'd like to see. Um, uh, also, I should explain, some people may have heard a, a gulping sound effect halfway through that. It's uh, That was my first glass of wine of the day. I should point out it is half past seven. Um, I took an over-enthusiastic gulp. Uh, sadly, I spilt a little bit of it on News Story 3, so I'm going to have to work out which town it is that we're talking about. I think it's Swindon later on, but never mind. At the moment, it's, wine, it's Weinstein Town. Um, Leeds United, Kieran, have had a really good season, and we haven't had much necessity to talk about them, but they're facing a big, if not entirely unexpected, transfer payout. <coughs> yes, um, this is uh, Kevin Agustin, who who they signed uh, from RB Leipzig um, on loan when it, when when they were in the Championship, mm. and uh, th- I think the deal was is that if Leeds were promoted now. I've, if Leeds were promoted by the 30th of June, i.e. the normal end of the season, then the deal became permanent. Now, the season, as we know, in 2019-20 in was extended because of the pandemic and therefore it didn't finish until July. So therefore, Leeds weren't formally promoted until uh, July. But it, it now looks as if uh, that, uh, that there has been uh, a ruling that Leeds will have to pay for this player, who I think played a grand total of 42 minutes of football mm. during that uh, that loan period. So so Leeds fans don't want him. I don't think he wants to play at, at Leeds because he's, he's certainly not been playing for them for the last 12 months. Um, but, of course, it comes down to money. Um, and it, and uh, the, the initial uh, feeling is that Leeds are going to have to go and pay a fee for this, for a player that, that they don't want, for a person that doesn't want to be playing at Leeds, which 
you know does doesn't particularly reflect well on on the nature of of football and and the way that transfers are perhaps organised uh, to, to to force them through this. Yeah, strangely, he's a classic example as well of we you know football fans always blame management for bringing in the wrong players but he was a player who came in with a really really good reputation and you can never second guess how a player is going to settle in or become part of a team and it's it's just a shame because we always forget how he feels in this situation because he's lost 18 months two years of his career his confidence will have been shattered uh anyway Norwich City fans Kieran are normally a fairly happy-go-lucky bunch they live in a lovely part of the world they've got a nice kit but I think it's fair to say they are furious with the club over its shirt sponsor for next season. Yeah, and and for me, Norwich is a club that I always hold up, certainly when I'm yeah. when I'm teaching, as a club that that tends to get it right off the pitch ninety nine percent of the time. Um, they live within their means. They, they've got a set budget. They they sell out every week. They've got a really good committed <laughs> local fan base. They interact with the community. Yeah, lots of boxes being ticked. Mm. That ninety nine percent isn't a hundred percent. And here comes the big screw up. Mm. Um, Norwich have been sponsored for the last few years by a company called Daffabet. Now. Uh, you know anybody that saw the the Ruth Davison documentary on Channel Four a couple of nights mm. ago might have felt a bit uneasy about the relationship between football and gambling, and and that's for another show, that's for another discussion. Mm. Um, but that deal had effectively expired. Norwich, of course, have now been promoted to the Premier League, and uh, a couple of days ago they announced a brand new sponsor called. BK8, described on the website as an Asian gambling company, which is Mm. also involved in cryptocurrency. Um, Now, the fact that it was Asian and they didn't even name the country involved um, perhaps made people feel slightly uneasy. And I think the initial reaction from Norwich fans is, well, well, we've never heard of of these people. Uh, And so they started to do a bit of Googling. Uh, They they find a picture of John Terry wearing a BK8 T-shirt, you know, advertising the wares. And then things start to go downhill. Um, uh, It looks as if this this company, BK8, has has in historic uh, marketing campaigns, and by historic, I mean up until very relatively recently, Mm. um, they've been using... Young ladies, uh, provocatively dressed um, in in what, what could be described as sort of 1970s style soft porn adverts mm. for the products. You know, messing around, uh, cavorting. Uh, I think is is as as my my mother would probably describe. Um, no, no better and, than they should be, Kieran. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, th- these type of adverts would not be. Uh, acceptable under ASA rules, of Advertising Standards Authority rules here in the UK. It, it is the sexualization of young women. Yeah. It's also connected with gambling. So, so you're putting two two vices together in, in not a particularly um, not a particularly mature manner. Uh, is is the politest way I can describe it. So I've been sent some of these photographs by Norwich fans, and, mm. and I took a look and said, "Oh, you know this." This is this is embarrassing, mm. um, and I think it's fair to say that there's been the, the fan the fan base is very unhappy. The, the supporters trust have said you know, we don't want anything to do this. There is now sort of a quasi campaign uh, 
uh, people saying, well, you know, we're not going to buy into this. We're not going to buy next year's kit mm. because we don't want to be associated with this. And also, I think we've got to look at things from a broader perspective. You know, we, we have moved on, I thought. Um, yeah, what happens if you are a member of Norwich City's women's team? Yep, I know. And you're now having to wear a shirt, yeah, yeah. which is associated by, um, you know, women sticking BK8 stickers on, on their fronts where they shouldn't. You know, it, mm. it's just, it, it, it's very tawdry. Um, sometimes in life, and, and I'm not being hypercritical here of, of Norwich because other clubs have made mistakes historically, sometimes you can be blinded by the check. Yeah. And I think this is the politest way that I can say how, how the Norwich decision makers have made. But I think it also goes to show you know, we are living in the 21st century. And one of the first things we do, we, you know, we've only got to look to see what's happened with England cricket and the yeah. mess it's yeah. presently in, uh, in, in respect of social media posts. Well, you do your homework. If, if, if I'm going to employ somebody, or if I'm going to get into a business relationship with somebody, I do my background checks. I Google them. I, I, I take a look at their Instagram posts and so on. And then you make a decision. And if, if the Norwich board had looked at those photographs and said, yeah, that's okay, because they're offering, uh, they're offering us four to five million pounds a year, and, and that's all we care about, then I think that reflects absolutely appallingly on them. The, the, I think the best thing we can say is that they didn't do their homework it's now come back to bite them on the bum, and they've now got a very awkward decision to make. You know, is there is there an exit route out of this? I'm not sure that there is necessarily. Um, but you know, people then say to me, "Well, we're, we've we've never heard of Daffabet. We've never heard of BK8. You know, why are there so many uh, gambling companies from uh, in other places around the world which are now appearing on the Premier League?" And it's all to do with the Trojan horse of marketing. Mm. You are not allowed to gamble in yeah. China. You yeah. are not allowed to gamble in Thailand, but you are allowed to watch Premier League football. So now we have these uh, gambling companies, which are based, I think this one is in, in fact based in Cambodia, and they will have a nominal website here in the UK, but it's actually very difficult to gamble on it. But all of a sudden, people see those brands um, and they say, okay, BK, well, yeah, I know I'm not officially allowed to gamble in China or Thailand, but oh, mm. here's a, and, and it's using eight, which of course is a lucky number uh, in, in Chinese culture. So I will have a go because they also, they, they're playing Liverpool or Manchester United or Chelsea or, or my favorite team. So therefore it could be, you know, it could be a lucky sign and, and people will perhaps try to place a uh, place a gamble, play to place a bet, which you know there are ways and means, as we know, of always doing things. So it's a rather insidious way of, of trying to get these brands into the, the minds of potential customers of their uh, of theirs in countries where where gambling is in fact prohibited. Let's face it, Kieran. If a man who ran a Blackpool nightclub thinks it's tawdry, then it's it's definitely tawdry. Now, it's not the first time this has happened because when Palace was sponsored by Mambet X last season, it turned out that they were a gambling forward slash soft porn site, and it didn't sit well with people. And the club can say as much as it wants. Well, you know, we won't sell these shirts with these sponsors onto to youngsters, but the youngsters are still sitting in the crowd, surrounded by adults with these. Mm. These on, and you mentioned being blinded by the check. That's one of the notes I've written. How much was the deal worth to them? Do we know? 
Well, they, they, they never they never disclose these explicitly. Uh, for, for, and here I'm trying to use the word uh, in, in, a, in a different manner. Mm. Um, but my estimates are in the region of four to five million pounds. Certainly when when I've listened to Premier League commercial directors speak, they say when when you go up from the championship to the Premier League, because you are getting those listeners in those particular countries, um, then uh, you know we, we're normally going for a factor of ten, or, you know, around about half a million to the the four to five million pound bracket. It's interesting as well, Kieran, because it was only on Monday that we had a question about the reputational damage to Sheffield United because of shenanigans by their sponsor USG, and we hear there won't be their sponsor next season. And you thought there would be financial damage, but not necessarily reputational damage. But with Norwich, it's quite clear that because of the nature of the club, and I'm not saying it's a different club to Sheffield United, but there is clearly reputational damage to Norwich because of this deal, isn't there? There, there is reputational damage at present, Kevin. But let me be perfectly honest. If Norwich City win the first three matches of the Premier League season, yeah, all of this will be forgotten. So, And that's not a criticism of fans. You know, it's, it's, football is a very, very short-term industry. It just looks bad, and it's going to look bad until the first match kicks off next season. Uh, it will be a stick with which to beat the, the people in charge at Norwich, which is a shame because I genuinely think it is a fantastically well-run club. Yeah, and, and let's face it, as long as Delia Smith is not sitting there with that shirt and we should be fine. Um, uh, I, the wine stain has dried enough. I kept you talking there, Kieran, while the wine stain dried. Um, <laughs> Swindon Town have been on our watch list for a while and now it seems that £4 million is missing from the club director's loan account. Um, I quite like the supporters' trust tweet that added the word surprise to surprise to that information. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and just to keep producer Guy happy, I will add the word allegedly as well, although uh, I'll keep pointing out to producer Guy that most judges see right through that allegedly ploy. Yes, th- this is part of the ongoing dispute between club owner Lee Power and Michael Standing, the, uh, the, the agent of, uh, or former agent of, of Gareth Barry before he retired. Um, and uh, Michael Standing has some form of arrangement, directly or indirectly, with Lee Powell. Trying to get to the, the bottom of this has, has proven to be very challenging. Um, according to Michael Standing's books, he is owed £7.5 million by Swindon Town. According to Swindon Town's own accounts, he is owed £3.2 million. So there is a difference. And um, the the allegation which has effectively been made, and, and we've got an ongoing court case, so all we can do is report what has been, what has been published in the public domain, is that um, that money has been withdrawn by the owner, Lee Power. Uh, and what it's been used for, nobody is certain. Um, but trying to get to the bottom of it is is proving to be difficult. You know, court cases are taking place via Zoom, as we're aware, mm. and, and all processes are being slowed down. Um, but uh, you know, we've had Swindon Town trust people on the show. Um, they they haven't. They, they're presently having the the hashtag fan power, not Lee power. They're they're, they're effectively advocating a, a, a not a penny more campaign against Lee power uh, to try to to force him to sell up because there's been a breakdown in the relationship between the fans and the owner. Um, this this looks again tawdry, messy. 
um, lack of transparency, all of the things which we've been advocating since day one. Um, and in an ideal world, we would have some form of industry regulation or regulator who could uh, deal with these things a lot quicker. Ah, now, if we didn't have a news story in between, that would be a great news story to lead into the story after that, which is about the regulator. We we are asking, by the way, Swindon Town, a guy has been emailing and producer guy has been trying to get in touch with people from Swindon Town because if they want to come on and put their point of view, we're only too happy to listen to that. Um, League R in France, like the pronunciation, Kieran? League R yes. in France is to drop from 20 teams to 18 in two years' time. Is that for financial reasons or will it have financial implications? Um, I, I, I think it's uh, an, an element of both. Um, French football's TV deal, as we know, uh, collapsed mm. uh, last year. And I think the, the clubs, and by all accounts, apparently 97% of clubs voted in favour of this. Um, clubs have decided to try to have a product which is more attractive to a TV audience and therefore a more concentrated uh, league with uh, with 18 teams uh, in the top division. Um, presently, they have 20, as do uh, England, Spain and Italy. And of course, we've got 18 in the Bundesliga. Um, so therefore, what's going to happen is that in 22-23, uh, there's going to be two clubs promoted and four relegated. And that will take us down from 20 to 18. Um could this be seized upon for a potential change to the, the Premier League? We, we saw in both Project Big Picture and the Super League uh, pressure, and, we, and we've seen it from, from other publications as well. If you want uh, an increased stroke bloated um, either Super League or Champions League, it's very difficult to fit everything in as far as the fixture calendar is concerned. And therefore... Um, I, I think it would be quite quite tricky to to do that with uh, with clubs playing a you know, thirty eight game domestic league, mm-hmm. Carabao Cup, FA Cup, international friendlies, um, Super Cups, and and, and uh, European competition as well. Yeah, I guarantee that the fourth team relegated will be the French equivalent of Crystal Palace, probably on a record point score of two hundred and seven. That's the sort of thing that would happen. Um, Gary Neville. Talking of independent regulators, uh, I would have changed the order of those questions around, Kieran, but I've had that half a glass of wine now, so I'm not thinking as sharply as I should do. Um, again, uh, this will be the show that BAFTA listened to. Uh, <laughs> but Gary Neville said this week that the independent regulator he is demanding for football must, and I quote, have teeth. And also, Gary said he'd be quite happy if that regulator came in, redistributed the money more fairly then handed football back again, to whom he didn't say. But I do like the sound of Kieran Maguire, independent regulator. But would you would you come in, sort football out and go out again? I wasn't quite sure what Gary was getting at there, to be honest. Uh, I suspect somebody would look at my historic activity in Moscow and and Blackpool nightclubs and, and rule me out forthwith from, from any anything, to be perfectly frank with you. I think that sort of experience, Kieran, is, is what makes <laughs> you perfect for the job. A real, a real life down to earth. Just imagine you in board meetings, just sweeping objections aside, saying, look, I can deal with the Moscow Mafia. I can deal with you, Neville. <laughs> um, I, I, th- I think it's... Uh, it, it, 
it, it's an unusual suggestion from Gary Neville. I personally don't think it, it would work. It, it reminds me to a certain extent of that old episode of, of Tom and Jerry, where Tom, Jerry, and, and uh, was it Butch the dog all Butch agreed dog to is, have a... Or Spike? Uh, no, Spike, wasn't it? Spike the dog. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, they, they all agreed to have a uh, an entente cordiale. Yeah. And then as soon as things started to deteriorate, they all got back to, to bashing each other over the head. So un- <laughs> unless you've got somebody to keep the warring factions apart, uh, I don't think a, a short-term independent regulator would work because as soon as they left, there would be um, it, it would start off with, with a few clubs getting their own way on one item and then it would be another and, and we'd end up in back in square one. Um I understand why why the Premier League and the EFL prefer self-regulation. All bodies prefer self-regulation to outside scrutiny. It's it's you know, I'm you know, mm. as individuals we do this, um as as organizations we do this as well. But uh you know, are these organizations fit for purpose uh, in terms of the way that they have behaved historically? That's uh, that, that's for a much longer podcast mm. to decide, I think. Um so in terms of having teeth, I'm, I'm, I think Gary Neville is absolutely right here. Um, what we don't want is a token figurehead in charge of English football. And we fall into the trap of thinking, well, somebody's in charge now. All of the problems are going to go away. Even if, if, if there is a, a general manager, a, a national organisation, organiser, whatever you're going to call this person, a commissioner for football, um, they're going to have their, their work cut out because the clubs are competing against each other. And, and when you've got you know, 92 clubs ultimately competing against each other, then uh, there, there will be factionalization. You will get groups setting aside their own personal interests against those of others. And you do need some form of referee. This could be a real positive, you know, because the, what, what, the, what, what the regulator could say is, I'm going to give you examples of best practice. I'm going to encourage you to do the right thing. Um, there could be rewards, uh, you know, uh, off-pitch rewards, not on-pitch rewards, of course, um, for people that, that uh, are, are taking the right steps. Um, and it could be a, a, fantastic, uh, a fantastic movement for football um, and also recognise and, and I'll repeat this. You know, I, I, I heard from from somebody uh, relatively senior in the game. He says the only good thing which has come about uh, as a result of lockdown is that we within football, yes, we've always said yes, fans are important. But in, in if, if we're honest, it was just a platitude. Yeah. We now realise after a year and a bit without them, a we need them from a financial perspective, but b. Football ain't the same. You know, play, playing matches, watching matches, it, it even it, even from the director's box is a completely different experience without you know twenty, thirty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people, uh, you know, providing the, the living heartbeat of the game through the way that they react to what they see on the pitch. Yeah, I watched the Hungary Republic of Ireland friendly the other night in front of a full stadium, and it's, it took me a long time to think I wasn't watching a repeat. It was just transfixing mm. um talking of of cartoons Kira, i know you don't have a lot of time in your hands but you might you might like to try if you and the baroness have a spare five minutes to spare just before drifting off to sleep try uh putting tom and jerry on on, on the the laptop or the ipad right but just listen just listen to the music without watching the actual cartoon capers it is the most sinister thing a friend of mine really? said yeah yeah a friend of mine sent this to me and I, I it's it's scary you won't get wow. through more than three or four bars 
without switching the light off and that. <laughs> yeah, try it, Kieran. You'll enjoy it. Um, Will do. Will do. Yeah. <laughs> Tell the Baroness that I suggested it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Ke- Kevin, Kevin suggests we watch something together <laughs> late at night in bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, st- I still think, um, Spike, there's an episode where a tiny kitten falls asleep on Spike and takes about three minutes clawing him, and it's hilarious. Anyway, that's that's re- let's do a pod on cartoons, Kieran. And get <laughs> Swiss Ramble will do that one. Um, <laughs> I think Gary Neville, being a modern thinker, will welcome the news that after 157 years, 157 years, the FA is to have its first female chair. Please God, they pay her the same money as they pay the men. Yes, yes. So, so this is the news that uh, uh, Debbie Hewitt has been uh, unanimously voted to uh, to take over as as the uh, as as the new head of the Football Association. Um, she comes with an impeccable record. Mm. Uh, I, I've looked at some of the plaudits about her. She's uh, she, she's uh, a, she's a proper football fan. She comes from a working class background. Has made her way up. She's been very successful. Uh, she's she's been head of Visa, the restaurant group, the Hut Group, um, and uh, is is used to dealing with people at board level. And I think mm. that's really important. Um, she's also very progressive, and I, I do feel to a certain extent that uh, that the FA has been very unfortunate because there are a huge number of people there who have introduced some fantastically progressive policies. Uh, We've seen the expansion of the game in terms of youth football, women's football, uh, far more inclusion uh, for for all walks of life, uh, tackling the issues of racism, homophobia, which which are are, are blighting society in in many respects. And, And then of course, Greg Clark went before the DCMS and he thought he was Jim Davison for a day Jesus and Lord. set back football 157 years with his comments about, uh, and, and quotation marks, coloured players yeah. um, and uh, that, that being gay was a lifestyle choice, mm. uh, which which I find uh, particularly grating. Um, so uh, it's it's a step forward. Uh, I, I think she will uh, be able to present and articulate the the views of the football association uh, in a far far better way, um, and we wish her well uh, in terms of what will be a very challenging time for the FA in in whatever uh, it ends up doing in terms of the way that uh, its involvement with uh, which with English football manifests itself. You know, presently, it is the national team and grassroots. Should it have a greater role in terms of the professional game? Well, certainly the professional game doesn't want that, but the professional game hasn't exactly, as, as you know, only some of the stories we've we've dealt with today, hasn't exactly covered itself with glory. Yeah. And for those people who are still in 2021 accusing the FA of tokenism, they have simply chosen the best candidate that was presented for the job. That's all. That's all they've done. Um, I know Gary Neville will approve of our last news story, Kieran, um, because he's very, very committed to environmental issues. Birmingham County FA have launched Save Save Today, Play Tomorrow, aimed at encouraging local players to reduce the environmental impact of football. And it strikes me, Kieran, this is something with a short-term cost but a long-term gain. Yes, uh, again, you know, it, it ties in with uh, a more progressive 
way of of looking at the impact at which we deal with many things. So um, Birmingham, uh, B- B- Birmingham County FA, um, they're looking for the local game to become more sustainable. So you know why get eleven blokes travelling to a match together? Um, in separate cars, you know, why why not do simple things like car share? Yeah. Um, you know, why not switch off the showers uh, when the last piece and le- person leaves, as opposed to le- waiting for the groundsman to do it three hours later? Um, yeah. And, and yeah, you know, I, I know it sounds like uh, you know a nanny naggy state to some critics, but if we each make small steps, then we can start to make a difference. Um, and it's also good. I, I went on to the uh, to the website of, of one of the organisations connected with this, and we're already seeing clubs such as, and, and we've we criticised them historically, but on some issues, Manchester United, Arsenal, Bristol City um, are trying to do things to reduce their carbon footprint. I think Arsenal have gone a little bit far in, in not qualifying for Europe um, <laughs> in, in taking that particular approach. But um, if, if everybody does a little then collectively we can do a lot, um, and uh, I, I've probably just I've probably just uh, uh, satisfied the woke bingo card um, amongst some of our listeners. But uh, yeah, it, it's our it's our children's future. I've got grandchildren now; um, it's their future as well. And by doing a little and uh, 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 projects such as this, we can make a difference. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I've never loved you more than I love you now, Kieran. Just I'm welling up. Um, <laughs> also, at the risk of sounding cynical, as a Sunday league player in the Birmingham County area, it's the perfect excuse for leaving the dog pill on the pitch. It's organic. <laughs> someone's, someone's got a clear. We went through half a season before somebody decided that. And never mind. It's interview time, Kieran. Um, and it's always encouraging to know that people within football listen to the price of football. Um, the fact that Arsene Wenger may know the exact number of espresso martinis it takes to get the Baroness tipsy is a source of great joy to me. <laughs> 
So when John Bennett, Deputy Chairman at Rangers, got in touch with us after we discussed share issues at Ibrox, Kieran was only too glad to talk technical to him. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for, for coming on. How are you keeping? Kieran, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm very well, thank you. All the better for uh, the sunshine and the warmth, having finally arrived down in the southeast of England. Oh, terrific, terrific. And uh, can I just say, as, as a Brighton fan, uh, it, it's absolutely fantastic to see uh, one of our former players, Connor Goldson, lift, lifting the Premiership trophy. I, I suspect it wasn't the most important thing in your minds when it happened, but uh, uh, it's been a fantastic season for Rangers, hasn't it? It really has, and I think he's uh, – it's interesting um... – you mentioned Connor. He's been an absolute rock. I think he's epitomised the spirit that's run through the team, that's run through the club. He's been a an absolute rock, and we've needed uh, steadfast rocks uh, over in recent years. And Connor um, epitomises that. Fantastic, fantastic. So uh, we're here to talk uh, about the financial issues, and and Rangers now have uh, a share issue, which is going direct to fans. Exactly where did the idea come from? You know, were fans in contact with you? Was it something which had come from the board? Was it sort of just a meeting of minds? It's a bit of both, actually. But, you know, the board, and I recall this is 2015, Kieran, when, when, we, when we got in, and whether it was board meeting one or board meeting two, it came up very early from the board uh, as a discussion. And really just a general discussion at that time where um, – you know, to a man around the board, we were all in agreement that at some stage, now we're going back six years, of course, but at some stage, when the time is right, it will be right to uh, invite fans directly to own part of this club um, as we rebuild it. And I think the key phrase there is when the time is right. The timing had yep. to be right. And uh, and we think that's absolutely now. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, um, I mean the the, the the capital offering that the, the potential cash that could be raised is is six point seven five million pounds. I'm assuming there that the shares could be priced at twenty pence. Um, is that money? Is that going to be used for for general working capital? Do you have any specific projects you want to use it for, or does it just go into the the overall pot? Um, well, and there's two things that won't they won't be priced at twenty pence. They will be above twenty pence, but we will confirm the. Uh, share price uh, in the coming days. In fact, next week uh, when yep. we go live with uh, when, once the pre-registration period is is closed and we go live with the um, with the offer document uh, itself. So that is for for next week. The money to be raised. I mean, there's no shortage of pro- projects at at at, at Rangers uh, to to be investing in, um, uh, and that's off the field as well as on the field. But if we take the whole off the field stuff and I, the projects that we are investing in going forward, they're a very different nature of project from the past. And I would describe them as growth projects, Kieran. If you look yep. at the, I mean, I've talked a lot about being on a bridge and building the bridge, you know, getting the bridge to the other side. And the other side is growth, growth of the club. You're coming from where on the bridge? You're coming from recovery. And this mm. has been a six-year recovery period. We think we are not at the end of the recovery period, but we are approaching the end of the uh, recovery period. So I, so I can see we're standing on the bridge. If, you know, if I visualize it for a moment, we're on this bridge that we're still completing that reaches and touches the recovery side of things. And the projects 
from the recovery side would be, I mean, I think you, you'll be aware of this, Kieran, but the very fabric of the building yep. was in a terrible state. You know, it wasn't just the playing squad going back several years that wasn't fit for a ranger for Rangers. The very fabric of the building, from the roofs to the lifts, for any any poor soul who's had to endure the lift going uh, in Argyle House uh, to get to Bar 72 or get up to the Argyle Suite, whatever, they don't need reminding. You know, you could you, you not only miss kickoff, you could miss half time if you weren't uh, careful in that lift. You know, right. a lot of the fabric of the building, the boilers, the lifts, and and it's rudimentary, but by goodness, it was it was left to rack and ruin. We've we we are still putting some of that right as we speak, including yep. boilers. We're not raising funds for that. We, we, we're, we're taking care of that. We think we have taken care largely of the recovery phase in all respects, on and off the pitch. What we're doing now, and this is what I mean by the time is right, we wanted to go at a time when we felt that we were able to, two things here. One, we were able to invite the uh, fans to invest in growth projects. You, you'll know yep. about Edmondson House, the museum. That, that museum will also mm. be a concert mm. venue. It will also ho- host a merchandise store. It will also host, host uh, a bar area. So you've got that. You've got a pitch that is going in now, a pitch fit for the future. They don't come cheap. That's going yep. in right now. So the fans are going to see on and off the pitch growth projects. And if we take it to a financial dimension um, uh, for a second, they're going to see revenue-generating projects that are off the pitch, and that would be Edmondson House and, indeed, enhancements to the to, 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 to the stadiums. Um, and the second thing I wanted to say about when the time is right, for me, this is crucial. When We did not want to invite the fans into a direct participation of, at this level before we felt that the, the business and the business model were substantially de-risked. Now, uh, Kieran, yep. you'll know that nothing in life can be de-risked to the extent that Absolutely. it's risk-free. Nothing yep. is risk-free. Life is not risk-free. Business is not risk-free. And certainly the football business is not risk-free. But we wanted to go at a time where we felt, look, we really have significantly de-risked the whole business model and we're able to offer visible, tangible growth projects. Um, that is the time. That's why we've done it now. Terrific. Yep. And I'm just thinking about sort of going forwards. Let's say you are a Rangers fan. You've got your season ticket. You've got a little bit of spare cash. You've you've decided to invest in the club. People's circumstances change. We're fully aware of that. Will will, Will fans be given an opportunity? Will be there some form of secondary market or some facility? Should they choose to want to sell the shares? Will they be able to do so with relative ease? Absolutely. Now, that was actually an important one in our choice of partner. As you'll know, we've chosen Tifosi as our partner in this uh, to, to, to handle the issue. Tifosi will be providing a peer-to-peer secondary market. So again, if you want to sell the shares that you own, those are second-hand shares. Those are secondary shares. So they have something called the Tifosi Exchange. Now, that actually acts as a notice board. And what that notice board does, it allows an investor to express an interest to buy or sell shares, and the price will initially be set by the seller. Then it's up to the two parties to agree. It then is agreed by the parties, and if they're in agreement, um, although it provides no guarantee of ongoing liquidity, it, how I would describe that, if I think of my day job, I would describe that as a matched bargain. You, yeah. It's a matched yeah, bargain certainly. basis. Yeah. Um, so yes, is the, is the short answer via the Tofosi Exchange Notice Board, you can go and you can indicate your willingness to buy or sell. The seller will set the share price initially 
and then it's up to the buyer and seller to come to an agreement on a match bargain basis. Great, great. And uh, at the initial offering, I see that the the maximum purchase allowed under the proposal is a hundred thousand pounds. Are there any restrictions on a fan who, you know, perhaps had a little bit of extra wealth? Um, would they be able to take their investment beyond that level after the initial share issue takes place? That would be. I mean, there's no there's no plans for us to issue uh, further uh, shares via. T- well, we're limited at at that level on on via mm-hmm. this mechanism. So, in this mechanism, no. But of course, if fans with a, a greater number than than that than the hundred thousand wanted to contact us directly, they could do that to see if we can do something there. We can accommodate. Uh, a larger uh, uh, ticket size. I thought initially that you'd, you'd, you'd meant could they could they increase their holding by via, via buying not primary shares, Kieran, but but secondary shares as yeah. we've just yep. discussed. Via there's no limit on that. I mean, okay. you know, if, if, if they can fill, if they can if they can find willing sellers yep. of of shares, um, willing seller, willing buyer. Uh, no, we wouldn't we wouldn't limit that. Absolutely terrific, right? Um, and, and I notice, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm well known for having an obsession with companies' house, and I've I've got I've got uh, I've got signals for for every single club in England and Scotland. Um, shares have been issued to Club 1872 recently. Now, is is this operating in, in parallel to to the pub, public offering that you're now proposing, or is it part of the board's overall aim of of increasing the ability of fans and fan groups to own shares? But I guess that the Club 1872 will be a slightly different route. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I don't see the, the two things as 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 mutually exclusive. I, I see them as mutually inclusive um, in that we had we had a, an agreement um, with Club 1872 to issue shares to the tune of what it, the Club 1872 could raise in the first half of, of this year. Now, we did bring that forward by one month uh, to uh, the end of May because we were uh, getting locked and loaded, if you like, with this issue via uh, Tifosi. So we did bring that forward by a month in terms of that 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 six month agreement. Um, but should Club eighteen seventy two wish to uh, invest in shares and Rangers beyond thirty first of May, I'm sure we could um, accommodate that. I.e., in this issue, in fact, I, I saw that there was another fans group at um, Follow Rangers who have had dialogue with Stuart Robertson, and I think they're looking at that for fans who might want to go via that route. Um, so I don't see anything that would um, preclude Club 1872 from continuing to invest in uh, Rangers shares, uh, even in this issue, if that's what they wanted to do. And, well, if that's what their fans, uh, yep. sorry, their members, their members uh, wanted to do. Okay, right here. Um the, the, the Rangers board have helped to finance the club during the pandemic. You know, Rangers have got amazing support. And uh, certainly when I looked at the 2019 accounts, I think it was around about 60% of revenue was coming through match days. So Scottish football has been it's been hit quite, quite you know, more harder than in many other nations. Um, are, is there any pressure now to sell assets and, you know, and buy assets? Let's be honest, we're talking football players um, to repay any of these debts or as far as the, the lenders are concerned, you know, those loans are, are part of the, the recovery project and, and they're, they, they see them as a, a medium to long term issue uh, in terms of the investment in the club. Yeah. And I think that I think the context of this, the, the short answer is no. 
Utterly not. The, the, our whole model, our whole planning, no, no player sales to uh, to, to repay our loans, including including mine. Absolutely not. Um, not part of the plan. Not going to happen. What that that plan? Those loans, Kieran, must be seen. And, and this is for me is such an important thing. It's something I I thought long and hard about. And I tell you when it was. It was last August. I was in France on holiday, and I'm thinking. Um, if you simplify simplify things and depersonalize it, take it away from Rangers. Any business, any mm. business should have uh, permanent capital. That's the equity capital, yeah. and of course, that this issue is is an issue of permanent equity capital. And that's what if you look at what we've done as director investors um, and non-director investors uh, uh, in, in in the six years. What have we done? We have uh, steadfastly consistently re-equitized the business. We've gone to shareholders at each AGM and we've asked for permission to issue shares. We've then, uh, whilst we've contributed soft loans, we've then, once we've got the, um, once we got the shareholder permission to issue those shares, we've equitized the loan, the soft loans. We've converted the soft loans into permanent equity capital. Any business must stand on permanent capital, first and foremost, that's yep. the equity. If you then come to that debt that you talked about, um, and here's why there is an absolutely and there will be no need to sell any player to replay, repay our debt. We've structured, and this is what I thought about last year, and I said, look, we've just got to look at this as any other business. Any normal business will have permanent capital equity. We've talked about it. It will have long-term structured debt. Rangers yep. did not have that. And it will have short-term uh, debt. You know, you and I would know that as a revolver, a revolving yep. credit facility, yep. or a working capital facility. Did Rangers have access to banks who were willing to lend to them long term or revolving credit? No. no. Did no, it have no. that six years ago? No. Did it have it three years ago? No. With the exception of Close Brothers, which is in the public domain, who have lent to us, um, and that facility is fully repaid this month. Um, there were no banks willing to play. Uh, or lend to Rangers. Uh, nobody would be surprised by that. I wouldn't be surprised by that. That is changing. I have to say we have had offers from commercial banks now at more interesting interest rates to fund some of our developments, um, and we will consider those, and we have considered those. But if you look at the debt right now, provided by people like myself and other investors, and you'll see this as we when we release our accounts uh, for the year to 30th of June, i.e. in a few weeks' time, the, 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 the year end finishes and we'll release the accounts later in the year. You will see long-term debt at a much more attractive interest rate to Rangers than has hitherto been charged. That's very, very important. Yep. So, so that you're going to see seven-year debt in there provided by director investors such as myself. There is absolutely no need. So that's long-term debt. There is no need to sell any player and any or any other asset to repay that debt. It is now hardwired into the cash flows and the PL of the business, as any normalized business mm. would do. We also have will be have we have had access and we will have access to short term, that third component of any normalized sure. capital structure. That revolver, that overdraft facility, we've already done that earlier in this year. I was involved in some short-term debt. Uh, I have been twice in, in recent years. I will do so again if necessary. So Rangers now has access to permanent capital called equity, has access to long-term debt at an interest rate that is no longer at the 8s and 9% that have been charged historically, but it is a much more commercial rate to Rangers. 
yeah. and will have access to short-term debt. Now, that may be provided, as it is at the moment, by director investors such as myself and or commercial banks. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I always tell people, in any business, you shore up the balance sheet, first of all, which I think is what you're doing, and and then you move on. And and, and as far as moving on to your growth phase, I think that's that's exactly the right approach. I mean, if, if we just sort of extend the chat beyond specifically what was happening sort of internally, uh, it, it's been fair to say an interesting 12 months as far as football is concerned. What, what was your reaction to Super League when it was announced? I mean, how how do you think it would have affected an ambitious club such as Rangers? Yeah, you're talking about a growth phase of the clubs. Did did you see that as as, as a spit in the eye, as Severin did at UEFA in terms of all the other clubs in Europe, or, or were you more relaxed about it? You know, I was, Kieran, I, I was surprised and not surprised. And I'll deal with the not surprised in, in that. The not surprised was you could see the sort of direction of travel. If you if you think of the clubs, the breakaway clubs or the elite clubs or the super duper clubs, as they, however they wanted to be known, um, their owners, uh, some of whom clearly see them as global sports franchises, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in my view, see them as global f- sports franchises before they see them as football clubs embedded in and born of their communities. That's the bit that's the, the, the surprise for me, Kieran, was that they, some of them at least, seem to have forgotten that bit right there. Mm. And and you don't need me to tell you that. You saw the fans' reaction, and it's right that reaction, and it's an understandable reaction. I wasn't surprised in that I could see the direction of travel. It's what these owners of these clubs. Uh, clearly were angling for for some time. I wouldn't say I was surprised that it came. The manner in which it came, the timing in which it came, the lack of sensitivity to the very lifeblood of those clubs in terms of the mm. fans, that that really surprised me. Right, right. And, I mean, now that we are living in the post-Super League era. Um, and everybody's, yeah, everybody's looking for, is, is there anything beneficial potentially to come out of this for my club? Do you, do you think there's now a greater chance of UEFA awarding additional places in, in the revamped Champions League? Because we're going from 32 to 36 clubs, from 24 to 25, to actual champions such as Rangers, as opposed to the the five-year coefficient rule, which appeared to be UEFA simply giving away concession after concession after concession to those clubs who were at the same time trying to create their own competition in the form of Super League. I guess, Kieran, I'd love to give you a resounding yes to that question in that, yes, I do think that's going to happen for obvious reasons. I'd love to give you a resounding yes, but I, I don't give you a resounding. I hesitate because I talk about direction of travel of the elite or the super clubs or whatever they were. The direction of travel of UEFA has also been in a similar direction, hasn't it? I mean, it's yes. been it's been the very coefficient thing you talk about has been it has played to dare we say the something of a closed shop mm. or in danger of being a closed shop, and you know we we eradicate the whole idea of meritocracy. Mm. Uh, at our peril. So I think, you know, the only the only the only constant in life and the only constant in football is change. I I have to say I I would love to think the answer is yes to your question. I'm not brimming with 
confidence because if I look at how UEFA has behaved, and again, the direction of travel of UEFA, historically it has been to play to the strengths and the desires and the wills of you know the global elite or the European elite uh, uh, yep. uh, uh, clubs. So my heart says yes, my head says at best, uh, not quite yet. <laughs> right. Terrific. I mean, uh, you mentioned you mentioned sort of growth. Uh, you know, Rangers selling out every match at Ibrox. Um, you know, wanting to to to, to monetize the assets as best as possible, and, and you spoke about you know having concerts at, at Edmondson and so on. Is is there any chance of of extending or expanding the ground, or or are we still operating in, in a world, especially you know, with with material costs going through the roof at present, are construction costs too high for for there to be a, a genuine chance of a payback, and, and it's not worth the financial risk. No, I think it is, and it's actually something that we uh, that we've we, we've looked at um, in quite a bit of detail, actually. And and you know, I think we we have announced something in the the, the blue sky lounge area. Now that's a, that's relatively small scale. There will be opportunities mm-hmm. to have sort of premium seating around that. There's something that we could do bigger scale. It is bigger scale. It's obviously not a, a new level going on the top, but but for example, could you uh, could you lower the pitch and do something around the around there? So around mm-hmm. the, say the bot- the bottom tiers, uh, yes, you could. You can do anything in theory, but I think all in all at the right time. You know, I I would describe that as a very much a medium term yeah. uh, possibility because if you look at what we're doing just now, the demands on us. I'm going to take, even even look at the on on pitch demands. If you look at the on pitch demands, we want to go and have a crack uh, at the Champions League. We want to be group stage European football as we have yeah. been in recent seasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we want to be there. As as a given, group stage and beyond. Uh, that's where Rangers want to be. Mm. That's where Rangers mm-hmm. need to. So we have on pitch demands. We have off pitch demands, and the most immediate ones right now. Uh, well, the pitch is very self is a financial commitment. But Edmondson House, we wanted to get for the one hundred and fiftieth anniversary. We wanted to get Edmondson House that museum project up and running. And like any business, um, at Kieran, you, you know, you've got your wish list and yeah. then you've got, you've got to come with, 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 with priorities. And then you, you, you press go, uh, on, on the most feasible ones and the most worthwhile ones. And in terms of payback as well, you do have to look at it as, as, as a business individual and say, well, where's the payback? What are we looking at? Is there a 10 year payback? Is there a six year payback? Especially yeah. at a time when we're inviting, a broader church of in, of investors into this, mm. and the fans. Most importantly, our fans coming into this. We do have to think about payback for the business. Certainly, certainly. I, I mean, th- th- this is an old chestnut, but I, I feel I've got to ask it. I, I mean, when I talk to fans you know, through social media in general, yeah, there is a belief among some that that Rangers and Celtic, we've got to be honest here, have to a certain extent outgrown the SPFL. We've we've reached maximum in terms of the ability of the SPFL to to monetize the broadcasting rights and things of that nature. And if you want to be at that sort of that top table of, of being in the Champions League group stages and beyond every year, then of course you need to have higher revenues. And therefore, does that mean being in a different competition? We've seen recent proposals for a combined Dutch and Belgian league, for example, which has has some has made some progress. Do you think that there's a chance for for Scottish football to 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 join up with uh, with another league or two leagues in Europe, or alternatively, 
would you like to play in England with with therefore the chance of joining the Premier League? Because everybody knows that you know the Premier League does have the greatest revenues in world football and is likely to continue to be preeminent for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, you know, and, and it is a bit of an old chestnut in terms of, you know, let's take the European, and I did see that Benelux uh, merger, and you're absolutely right. It, it, it's broadcasting re- re- rights, broadcasting revenues that it essentially comes down to. And of course, you're seeing a, a fragmentation, aren't you, of, of the broadcasters themselves from linear television out to the streamers, and that and, and, and that yeah. clearly, clearly played a major part. If we go back to that Super League proposal, you know, global sports franchises streamed into Asia, etc. So it's not just your old-fashioned, um, you know, linear broadcasters that we're talking about. It's 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 the Amazons, the Netflix, etc. So everybody can see that changing landscape. And if you go back, so if you take that, say, the European one, that Benelux one, there there ha- have been, of course, uh, has been talk, uh, and maybe even talks over the years of a North Atlantic league. Um, in the likes of uh, uh, in, in 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 Europe, could could the old firm be invited into something like that? And that really ha- there've been a few iterations of that, and it hasn't really come to anything. Then, of course, there's the what some might see as the Holy Grail, the English Premier League. I actually think there is a, a an easier uh, solution, at least in the near term. Kieran, on all of this, I mm-hmm. think there's an easier option. And this comes actually, somebody actually floated it to me uh, I, just when the pandemic hit. Uh, and I got a call from, from somebody close to the English Football League. And it was the Carabao Cup. Yep. And I thought that was a very interesting uh, uh, proposition. Now, the, the proposition was, and it really was flying a kite at that level, at that stage. But I think this should be um, examined. And the proposition, the thesis was we need to breathe life, new life, into the Carabao Cup. Um, yep. The Premier League clubs, uh, you know, this was, this was his thesis. The Premier League clubs, clubs have very little or declining interest in the Carabao yep. Cup for the reasons that they're playing literally. They've got bigger fish to fry, or almost literally. Um, so wouldn't it be good to invite the old firm? And and the conversation was, and I said, I think that would be good to invite the old firm. I think the Carabao would be very interesting for the old firm to be invited to, but also to uh, to participate in, because I think of the colour, the fans, uh, uh, the excitement the, that it would bring. And I actually think the attraction it would bring to broadcasters. Uh, mm. So um, we had that conversation. And, and actually, I'm not... I'm not sure that it's limited to the old firm. Could it be an in- no. invitation that's extended to, say, the top four clubs in any season in the Scottish Premier League? And I think that's something we should explore. It's something I'm I'm keen to explore, and I think it's something that the English Football League um, should explore because uh, uh, forecasting is always a dangerous game, Kieran, but I'll give you this forecast. Certainly. We would sell out our away allocation, no problem. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, and... Uh, as as a fan, even though I'm based on the south coast, a, a chance to go to Glasgow, to go to Ibrox as, as as an away fan, as an English fan, I, I think there would be a pretty big take up there as well. So yeah, it, it's uh, it's a really intriguing suggestion that. Well, well John, I, I've taken up a lot of your time, and, and I really appreciate you giving up. I, I know you've got a thousand and one things to do, so uh, I'd just like to wish you all the best. Have a great summer, 
Um, and I'm sure in the world of football, you, you've uh, you've got a to-do list uh, at Rangers, and I'd just like to wish you all the best and uh, and stay safe. Kieran, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I mean, Kieran, that's a, a, a very refreshing, open, frank interview. That the revelation about the Carabao Cup. I mean, that's that's genuine news, isn't it? That's that's a great story. Yes, yes, and yeah, you know, I've, I've had enough time to sort of absorb it, yeah. and it, it it does need perhaps a bit of a refresh. Um, also, you know, let, let's be honest. If the if if the two. Uh, you know, he, he said the old firm, but then he said, "Well, you know, why not expand it a little bit further? If the if the top four in Scottish football all qualified for the following year's Carabao Cup, that's an extra incentive." Um, and, and as he, and as John rightly said, uh, you know, they they would sell out uh, away allocations regardless yeah. of of where those two Glasgow clubs were playing in the Carabao Cup because they've got huge fan bases all over the country and and they like to travel anyway. Yeah, and of course, if you've got regional-based groups in the early rounds, I'm sure clubs like Carlisle and uh, Newcastle would only be too happy to have the opportunity to play uh, away and home games against those. But that's good. That's a really interesting interview, and I think it's to the credit of John and Rangers as a club that they were only too pleased to discuss openly and honestly the things that we've been talking about for a, a, a while. And I like to think, Kieran, that... You know, other clubs might take note and put their point of view to us as well because we 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 try not to be judgy, but sometimes we only are able to put one point of view because it's only one point of view that gets in touch with us. So we can't put both sides of the argument. You know, so we're always happy. I'm talking to you, Mike Ashley. If you want to get in touch, we'll happily put your point of view. Um, <laughs> it might take a while, but we'll, we'll do it. Um, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our pod, The Price of Football, please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. And of course, if you have anything you'd like to ask for Monday's questions editions of the pod, email us on questions at priceoffootball.com. And don't forget, how could you, that the Price of Football end of season free Euro quiz is tonight at 8 p.m. Uh, Patreon should have already had an email inviting you to join. Otherwise, you can check out Kieran's Twitter feed for the Zoom details. I'm looking forward to that, Kieran. Yes, it'll be fun. Uh, it'll be a combination of serious, not so serious, and perhaps a little personal uh, element in the questions as well. <laughs> yeah, plus a little smidgen of Derby County, maybe just a touch, <laughs> a touch of Shefford Wednesday here and there. You never know. A little bit pinch of Moscow. Um, I shall hand you over, everybody, before you hear us again tonight, I shall hand you over to Kieran for his customary farewell. Well, thanks again, folks. Uh, it's uh, it's good feedback. It keeps us on our toes, but it, it keeps us going as well. It's uh, it, it's nice to know that the show's appreciated. If you can, uh, if you can give us uh, an Apple review, you can give us five stars. It, it makes a difference in the charts that only the God who is producer guy truly understands. <laughs> but he's the guy that books the books the guests, and we wouldn't have had Rangers contact us to come on the show had it not been for the fact that we've had. 1500 reviews on apple podcasts and that we're averaging i think 4.9 and, and some very kind words although the words apparently don't make a lot of difference so you can say that we're poo but still give us five stars and that keeps us up in the charts yeah or say that we're brilliant and give us five stars that's even nicer and i i understand that the producer guy is stepping down from the heavens to actively take part in the quiz tomorrow night i believe or at least to, well at least yes. to show his face on zoom well is, is he like Arthur Daly's wife? Does he exist? It's a chance, folks. If you turn up for the quiz, you'll find out. 
Yeah, I think last time he took part, he put a picture of George Best up. (laughs) We will see you. Well, we'll see some of you tonight, but otherwise we'll see you again on Monday. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. Buy some football.